how was how was training? How was the gym? It's grand, yeah. I'm just trying to get back into it. Um, because I'm still carrying a bit of an injury now, so uh, I haven't really done much in the last I don't know five or six weeks since I got back from Italy. So I'm just struggling, struggling. <laughs> yeah. So what, what's what's your injury? It's my pelvis. So um, you know the way your pelvis sort of rotates like that that my right one is sort of not rotating properly and it's causing my hip flexor to tighten up and causing my whole, um, yeah, my, all my hip flexor down my leg, a whole lot to tighten up, yeah. Which then probably affects your patellar alignment and then just causes knee pain. and. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I was at the osteopath, so she sort of released my pelvis, but I'm doing mobility now for my hip flexor. Um, I had done 2K yesterday evening and I was still a bit sore, so... It's just going to be slow process, but I need to get fit. I'm going over to um, I'm going over to Dubai in January, so I need to get fit for that because I know they're going to run the bollocks out of me. Absolutely. Because <laughs> do you fancy going out to I10 with them? Um, I would like to. Yeah, I would like to. Um, it'd be it'd be good. Like you know, it's an iconic place. Like you know what I mean. Yeah. So it would be it would be uh, it would be a, a, a great life experience. Like you know. Yeah, for sure. Are you, are you going out? No. What, to I-10? No. <laughs> uh, you are a runner. I happen to run occasionally. <laughs> There's a slight difference there. Uh, I would love to be in a position to to do that, but um, my knees are proper fucked and there's no yeah. point me fucking them up anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've just been invited whilst we were waiting for you to jump on. Um to a to do an air bike marathon in January, which I've accepted. Yep, we're both doing it. Yeah, whether that's at different times, whether that's sensible or not. But you know, there you go. What? Oh, not there, there. Yeah, this bike. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ! Yeah, that's punishment. <laughs> so the guy doing it, Charlie Charlie Mears, he <laughs> is doing one every day in January. Oh my god! And he's going around the country, seeing different people and doing them with different people to raise awareness around mental health. Very good, Jesus! That's that'd be some achievement. So he birthed up Ben Nevis uh, earlier this year. Okay, right. So, so he's into doing stupid things like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, says the man that runs for (laughs) eighty-nine hours. Yeah, I was going to say it's 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 all relative, but it, it goes to show that like you know you look at somebody else and you go that's crazy. You know what I mean? As like you say there, someone looks at me and goes that's crazy. But I look at other people and go that's I I want to do that. That's not like so. Yeah, everyone to their own really, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's all it is relative, isn't it? It's yeah. When I'm out in the back lane, just doing like some really shit kind of handstand push-ups and. Like some terrible like technique, like wall walks and things like that. Yeah. And like people are walking past walking the dog and they're like, wow, that's amazing. I'm like it really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all start we all start from different points, don't we? Absolutely. And everyone has to start from somewhere, like you know what I mean? So like it doesn't matter what you're doing, there's always someone looking at you going, I'd love to be able to do that. You know, and yeah. that's so you really, you really have to look at how far you actually come, you know. Yeah, I think that's that's 
that's really true and i think that it's a really good way of kind of so we have we've had this conversation once before and we've we failed to record so keith has very kindly come back to have a chat with us again thank you so we will cover some ground i do apologize for my technical (laughs) failings these things happen this is is our 50th podcast and it's only happened once so it's not too bad so we did speak before and we spoke about how you got into running and we talked about alana your daughter yeah and i don't know whether you're just very happy to to recap that and then we can go from starting running to running for 89 hours to go into the european 24-hour running distance championship and everything in between yeah absolutely <laughs> i can um <clears throat> Yeah, look, as I said, like I, I started running with my <coughs> with my daughter Alan in, in 2016, um, and that was to to run Dublin City Marathon 2017, and it was to raise money for a wheelchair accessible bus for a respite care home that Alana went to in our hometown in Navan. Yeah, it's because Alana had a life limiting illness, didn't she? Um, no, it wasn't life limiting. No, she had a spastic quadriplegic. Uh, okay. cerebral palsy so she, there was no life expectancy on her um, and we always thought like you know her condition would deteriorate like she used to get a lot of chest infections and things like that you know because she wasn't up and moving around she was um, confined to a wheelchair she couldn't eat because she aspirated so she was peg fed um, she couldn't talk you know but like you know she had her ways of communicating with us um, you knew what she wanted and you know, she was she was incredible, like, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, we, we thought like her condition would deteriorate. You'd see her going going downhill, you know what I mean? Like she'd be in and out of hospital all the time and but that never happened. Um she just put her to bed one night um and I got up the next day, I was heading out to work and I went in just to check on her and I found her I found her in the bed. Which is not easy. So and I'm not gonna skip over that. But I am going to change from that. So how, why running with Alana? Um, so we were fundraising for our house because of Alana's disabilities. We had to uh, make our house wheelchair accessible. And what we did was we had to do a lot of fundraising. Like we had to raise €110,000, um, which is a hell of a lot of money. Like, you know what I mean? And um, a friend of mine got into started running and we'd done so many events through running um, that helped us raise that amount of money. So I think it was it was apt to sort of give back to somebody else. Um, and we went to one of the, the the events. It was a half marathon, and I seen someone putting a, a running chair into a into a van. And you know, you see that, and it's like that's that's what I want to do. That's what I'd love to do with Alana. You know, because um, because Alana was such high needs. You know, she wouldn't really come to me. She was very agitated. She was very anxious. Um, so like it was, she was four or five before she'd even say come to me. Like, and then once we started running, you know, we created this incredible bond together that like, I looked forward to the weekends and so did she that I dragged her out of bed by the legs at five in the morning to get her up for a feed to go running, you know? <laughs> did you, did you run before that? Or did, were you active? Did you care about? Um, no. 
No, I didn't run at all. Like I, I used to be driving down the road wondering why people actually ran because I, <laughs> I didn't see any point in it. Um, I was smoking, I was drinking, you know, I played football, um, I played Gaelic football, I played hurling, um, I played a bit of golf, but it was nothing major. Like, cause I'd go out on the beer on a Saturday night if I was playing a match on a Sunday, you know, you'd go training just for the sake of going training. Yeah. Um, and once I started running with Alana, it was like I was putting 100% into this. Like I stopped smoking, I stopped drinking. Um, and I wanted to make it a memorable event for me, for her, for everybody that was donating to us, you know? Mm. <clears throat> and I guess that's propelled you forwards and you've, you've carried on enjoying it. And I'm guessing there's that, that sense of memory as well whilst you're running. Yeah. You know, like, there's so many places now I go to and there's places that myself and Alana went to running together, training. Um, but as well, like, I walk in around Dublin and I'd be driving on the Dublin City Marathon route. And, you know, your heart your heart sort of sinks, but also you get a, a, a nice feeling of, like, memories, you know? And, like, no matter what you're doing, like, nobody can take memories away, to, away from you, like... Um, the way I look at it, material things are material. Um, you could lose them. They could go missing. But memories don't. You know, there's, there's so many triggers. And I've noticed this through, through my time since Alana passed away that, like, you know, there's so many triggers for good memories and bad. And you have to accept both at the end of the day. Like, and, you know, you get a trigger of a bad memory and it just, it nearly just snowballed into something massive. Um mm. But I think you just have to acknowledge it. You have to just take a second and acknowledge that this was something that happened. This is something that is in, in your head um, and it has to come out somehow. And same as good memories, you know. I drive in the Dublin City Martin route and you see, a, say, a part of the road and you're going, oh, that was, that was a brilliant day. And it just snowballs into the whole day and then what we've done, the bus and everything else. Like So, <clears throat> yeah, like... You know, as I said, like no one could ever take that away from me. Um, and I, I love getting, I love getting the good memories, the bad memories, not so much. So, how did you go from marathon to further? Yeah, it was, you know, like for about four or five months after Lana passed away, um, like it, 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 I was absolutely broken, like, um. I used to go out walking at all hours at night um, and I'd end up at, out in the graveyard at three and four in the morning just sitting there. You know, you're going to bed at night praying you don't wake up the next day and, you know, it's it's not healthy for anybody. Um, so we, we were handing over the bus to uh, the respite care home and we had a big event. We'd done a, like a memorial run for Alana. It was a, a 6K memorial run um, and we had like about 1,500 people came out to it. And I think from then on, it was like, I want to go back. I want to go and run Dublin again. So I ran Dublin again in 2018, where we were awarded the Lord Mayor's Medal. And Alana's number was retired from Dublin City Marathon, um, which is like an incredible honour from the race director, Jim Ogney, to, to do something like that. Because Alana, like myself and Alana only ran it once, you know, it's, we didn't run it multiple times. Um, so it just showed the, the massive impact that, she had on the running community um, and then I think say to process everything that was going on um, <clears throat> I was out running like just 
silly mileage. Like, you know, I'd go out and I'd run 50K on a Saturday or a Sunday. And it was more, I was processing everything that was going on inside my head because, you know, as I said, like, you have to let it out. You have to get it out. And I'm not one for showing my emotions or talking to people or anything like that, you know. And I think going out running on my own um, was a way that I'm able to process that. Like, you know, you go out running, you, you, you go through every emotion. Like, you know, you, you're happy, you're sad, you're crying, you're angry, you know. So you get all that out and then you sort of start enjoying the run then. You know, you start remembering the, the good memories that, that I had. Um, and you start enjoying it then. And so... What I did was then I I I, I booked in to do uh, Dublin to Belfast, so that was my first ultra marathon in 2019, um, and there was something that attracted me too. I think it was like running from city to city, <clears throat> or um, or south to north, you know. And so I, I booked into it, and like I didn't have a coach. I just trained for myself. I just sort of you know you just sort of break it up between a Saturday and a Sunday, and you just keep increasing the mileage. Um, and like I had done in is 107 miles and I ran in 18 hours and 20 minutes, you know, so you sort of look at it and you go, you know, you could have a talent here, you know what I mean? You have an ability to, to do something, providing like you're willing to, to put the training in and put the effort in. Um, and, and that's sort of where I wanted to be at. Like, you know, like I said, like doing it with Alana, I put 100% effort into it and it was absolutely phenomenal. Like what we achieved, like we said, in Atlanta done the marathon in three hours, 21, you know, I never thought I'd even get near that, you know? And, and so it just shows the capability that I had to do something like that. And, and I, I suppose you have the ability and then the, the willingness to work hard. Um, you know, when you have, when you put the two together, you know, like you can, you can really, you know, amazing things happen. Yeah, it's a lethal combination. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's crazy because you mentioned like 2019 was your first ultra. Um, yeah. That's not that long ago. <laughs> Bearing in mind the journey that you've been on and the things that you're doing now, do you, think, do you think it was kind of what was in your mind and the emotions of why you were doing it and, what happened with Alana and do you think that got you through that and not necessarily just got you through it but got you through it in like in a competitive time or in a way that made you think that actually this is something I'm good at yeah like I think it it was all it's all a process you know and You know, I'm a firm believer. People, someone comes into your life for a reason, and I, I like Alana came into my life for a short time, but she changed my life forever. You know, mm-hmm. like I know 100, I would not be running if Alana was never came into my life. You know, I'd still be doing what I was doing. I'd still be out drinking. I'd still be smoking, and I probably, to be honest, I probably want to live very long. You know, because <clears throat> what I was doing just wasn't wasn't healthy at all. Like you know, um. But running with her, I suppose, yeah, having her memory there, um, doing it for her. But I, I also done it for raising money as well, um, which which was very close to me because I needed to raise money for the house that we were we were in, 
And when you start to give back to other people, you see the impact that it has, you know, and it gives you that drive to to do well because sort of like people take notice then, you know what I mean? Of And then, you know, I'm competitive too. <laughs> so when you when you put competitiveness to it, like, and you always want to better yourself. Um, so, yeah, like, I always work hard. You know, I want to better myself, but also I have this, I have this thing going on that I'm processing everything that's that sort of happened with, with Alana. You know, like, when Alana passed away, like, I think your body protects you to a certain extent of, like, you don't take in everything that's going on around you. Um, it comes out in stages. And I think over the past few years, it, it nearly drip, drip feeds you all this information that you've sorted, that your body has blocked out. Um, and I think that has helped me to do as well as I have done, especially in the last one standing, because, you know, you get to certain stages within that race. It's your mind. Your mind starts to go. <clears throat> and if you, if you have any weakness there at all, it, it will stop you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see that. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the uh, last one standing, the backyard. Hang on. Hang on. So we went, we went from oh, sorry, Dublin to Belfast Ultra without a coach. When did you think I need a coach to go a bit further and then we can go from that into the backyard at that time? Apologies. <clears throat> well, I actually, you know, I never actually, talk, I never said I needed a coach because like I went and done, once I done the Dublin to Belfast, I went and done the uh, 24-hour national championships then in June of that year. Um, so it's one of my loops on a, just a, like a tarmac um, ground and for 24 hours. And I done that and I done I, just short of 210 kilometers, you know, and I was really starting to enjoy like ultra running. I was starting to enjoy... You know, I, I'd be an introvert, right? So you're out there, you're on your own, don't have to talk to anybody, and you're just processing everything that's going on inside. And, you know, it was healing me, you know, which is what I felt, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, it was only when I wanted to do something different, something completely, you know, I'm all about my life experiences, you know, and I decided that I seen uh, Martin Abbott. And I was like, this is this is something that, you know, it's completely out of my comfort zone. You know, it's something that I would have to really, really train for. I'd have to put six months training into this. Um, so I talked to a fella here, Brian Keane, <clears throat> and he, I was asking him because I knew he had done, I listened to a few of his podcasts. Um, so I got in contact with him and he says, look, he says, the best person to go to is Marcus Smith. He says he trained him for it. You know, he trains people all the time for it. So he says, get in contact with him and see see where it goes from there. Um, so that was the first sort of time that I said, right, I need I need someone to coach me for something like this. And it's even down to, you know, heat training. It's down to what do you even put in your bag? Because I hadn't a clue. Like, you know, you're reading up stuff. There's so many, you know, yourself, there's so many blogs. There's so many people. People put all a load of information out there. But, you know, you know, nearly too much information is nearly worse than no information. Yeah. It's funny that my first thought there was, you need a bag. Yeah. <laughs> it's self-supported, isn't it? You go from one area completely. to the next. Yeah, completely yeah. 
Yeah, you don't you don't get stations where you pick up your water and food. What's what's that about? No, yeah. So like all all you have to carry all your food with you. All you all you don't carry. The only thing you don't carry is water and a tent because you're sleeping out in the desert. You know, and, and it goes goes to minus five degrees. But during the day, it could be nearly fifty degrees. <laughs> so you've got to carry a sleeping bag, your food, any medical kit that you might need, change of clothes or whatever. Shower kit, I don't know. You tell me. <clears throat> yeah, there's there's all that now, and as well, like you have to have an anti venom kit too. You know, so that was a bit of a shock to me because <laughs> you're looking at the scorpions, the spiders out there, and you know, the poten- you you don't think of the potential that you mightn't come home. Do you know what I mean? Now, when you look at it, very very few people have died out there, and I think the last, not last year, the year before, someone did pass away. But you know, you're talking. I think it's about 12, 1,300 people take part each year. Um, it, is a, a, it is a high finish rate as well, you know what I mean? Because the cutoff times are very generous. But, you know, it used to be classed as the toughest foot race on earth. It's very, very debatable now. Mm. It's interesting there, but I think a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to um, a guy called Andy Torbett, who's a, um, he's a stuntman, um, ex, ex-para, um, underwater bomb disposal guy. Um, he came back from the World Skydiving Championships just before we spoke to him. Um, speed skydiving. Sp- speed skydiving. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's interesting you you talked about um, things to keep you alive because he talked a lot about a lot of the time his main, particularly with cave diving and going into um, sort of dangerous situations like that, is their first thought is just getting out alive. Yeah. And yeah. I think, it, I think it made me realize what's the point in doing anything if you're not going to come out the other end alive. And I think that things, <clears throat> the ultra running and the self-supported things, it is real that you, you could not make it. Yeah. See, you put your body under so much stress. Um, and I don't think, I suppose ultra runners, and I don't think people in general realize the stress that you do put on your body, especially in ultra running, you know, and it's not just, it's internally, you know, all your organs are under severe stress and strain. Um, And that's why, say, you end up vomiting or you end up, a lot of people collapsing and things like that, you know. Now, look, cave diving is just ridiculous as well, because I was watching that film. um, (laughs) Did you watch the documentary called The Rescue, where the, the... the, the, the kids in Thailand yeah. like I was watching some of the lads that went over to help to get them kids out and like some of the, the areas that them lads used to go into cave diving was like you, you wouldn't fit you just wouldn't fit like, yeah. so Andy, Andy told me that that's what he does yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my feeling it's like nope yeah. <clears throat> no I'm not doing that but then doesn't that just prove what we said earlier about you look at other people and what yeah. they do, you think, nope. And they're looking at you, and they go, nope. Yeah. That's exactly I, it. At least you can stop running in an ultra marathon and just go, do you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. As opposed to, you can't just lay in a cave and go, oh, I'll go home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. That, that, that's only if you're not competitive. You know, yeah, like, just, I, yeah, I, I, I could not bring myself to, to stop. You know, and like the only race I, I have an official DNF, is, a DNF in is the one from Germany, 
in uh, in May. Yeah. But that's because everybody has a DNF unless you win. Yeah. Yes. And that was my third one, so. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to happen at some stage. Yeah. <laughs> so we, 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 did, we did talk about this a little bit, well, at length, the last time we spoke, um, which was a little bit nearer the time, so it was back, back in the summer. Um, so it wasn't actually that far after, after the race itself. Yeah. Um, how, how do you feel about it now? Are you okay? Um, more pissed off, less pissed off? <laughs> um, probably more, probably more. Um, <laughs> I thought you would be. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it's, it's a strange one because, you know, you get people, you get people say, oh, brilliant, you know, second in the world. But it's not, for me, it wasn't good enough. You know what I mean? Like, I've, like, we broke the world record you know, I was second in the world, but yeah, I still learned so much. I still looked at going, I could have done that differently. I could have done that differently. I could have done that differently. You know what I mean? So, um, look, I have to, you sort of have to hand it to people that help you out too, because I had some phenomenal people there helping me crew and because without, without them, like you definitely would not go that far. <clears throat> The only thing, the only thing I'd say is that I didn't, I actually didn't lean on my crew as much as I should have, um, because I was battling, I was battling with it with things for a long, long time, um, probably ten to twelve hours. I was battling with myself, with my body. Um, I wasn't taking in enough food because I couldn't eat. Um, my tongue was full of blisters, um, and I was coughing for long periods of time. You know. Um, and I felt myself struggling. And when I went out, when I went out on the last loop, you know, I sort of said, you know, I was struggling, but I didn't really say it, if you know what I mean. It was sort of in passing. They were, they didn't really heed it either. Um, and I didn't know going out on that last loop that I that I was going to, I wasn't going to get around. You know, it was just nearly, I suppose, a moment of weakness. I think, and that's what I brought it down to. Now it was a moment of weakness of <laughs> saying. You know that I should have just I should have just walked and I should have kept going. There was a lot of things going on inside of my head, um, a lot of fears, um, and I think you know you sort of you sort of get into this mindset of right, okay, I need to. I I was consistent all the time, so I was hitting about I think it was about forty six, forty seven minutes per loop, um, and I think the fear of going over fifty minutes was was massive, and I only see that now is that like. There would be nothing. There would have been nothing wrong with me doing 52, 53 minutes, and I see that now. But at that time, it was nearly like, no, I can't do that. You know what I mean? I, I can't because I'm only giving myself five minutes. But like, it wouldn't have mattered for one or two loops. Um, but at night, you know, the fourth night was diff. It was just different to the other three. Like the other three, there was a full moon. You could sort of see it was grand. The fourth night was black dark. There was no full moon. It was cloud cover. You know, it was just, it was strange. You know, now, it's, I'm saying it was strange, but we're after running for nearly four days. But it was strange, like, you know. Yeah. yeah. I should just, just put this into context for people yeah. that might not know let's, what we're talking let's about. Let's rewind. Yeah. So you were doing <laughs> yeah. what's known as a backyard ultra, where every hour you have to complete a loop of 6.7 kilometers. Yes. And the lap that you stopped on was your 89th or going into your 90th lap? It was, yeah, it was the 90th lap, yeah. So that's every hour. You do the math, guys, but that's, you know, 
four days in. Yeah, that, at I night. Think, I think that's at, worth repeating. Yeah. So every hour, you run six point seven kilometers. kilometers until you get on that start line until until you don't. Until nobody's left and nobody can do any more, and the last man standing is the winner. Yeah. So, and what was the world record going into that? So going into that, the world record was eighty-five hours. Uh, the European record was eighty-one, and the Irish national record I set in the May the year before was sixty-three. Yeah. So you set the Irish national record in that race two years after your first ultra marathon. One, one, one year. year. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The, so yeah. yeah, the year in twenty twenty one, I set the new Irish national record of sixty three hours. Yeah, yeah. So that, then, that's pretty good for a, for a then, novice runner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> and for people they may not know, what time of night was this? This happened. Was it between sort of two and four o'clock in the morning? That I stopped? Yeah. Yeah, it was about that. And it, it's normally the time is when people stop. It's so, the moment of weakness, yeah. And, and it's also worth noting that everybody's lowest physical ebb, generally speaking, is between that time of night. That's when your body tends to be at its... It's uh, fragile is probably the time, wrong... Yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, doing night shifts, that's the worst hours. Yeah. Um, and for patients, that tends to be potentially dodgy hours at night as well. So that <laughs> that, that two to four o'clock is the real yeah drop. But you see, <clears throat> I had said it to Marcus too. So Marcus Marcus came over. Um, it was the first time I met Marcus as well. Um, so he came over when the race was thirty hours in. So and he said he was going to be there until until the end, but. Um, you know, I, I said it to him as well about running at night. I said, like, my effort level is so much higher when I'm running at a slower pace. And he was like, of course it is. So your body wants to go to sleep. You know, but during the day, it was warm. It was grand. It was, it was lovely to run in. Just at night, your effort level, it just felt you were, you were battling against yourself all the time, you know, and it, it does take its toll. But as well, like, so, as I said, I was doing laps in about 46, 47 minutes. So, that was giving me about 13 minutes to get a bit of sleep, to get something to eat, get a change, socks, whatever you needed to do. So, I think I was probably sleeping for about four or five minutes each hour. Um, but you're not going to sleep every hour because there's so much going on during the day. There's loads of people around. You know, you just you, you don't really sleep. You doze off. So I'd say within 24 hours, I probably slept for one hour. So over the four days, probably slept. It got to about four hours. Do you know what? I'm, la- I'm laughing at you saying that because I think it's funny how um, over the last few years, sleep has become a big sort of talking point in people's worlds. And I think Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, which is a great book um, about how, you know, kind of nighttime routines and, Kind of you built adenosine and circadian rhythms, and that just goes out the window, doesn't it? Yeah. In terms of you can't wind down (laughs) to put yourself in the best position to have a good sleep. How how do you sleep? Is it just exhaustion? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Like when I when I finished the loop, uh, I'd come in, 
and Marcus would take my bottle, take like just I'd literally take my top off, take my runners off, and it came to the point where I just lay down and I was gone. <laughs> yeah, I, just gone. But what would happen is like I'd say to him, like, right, we'll take, get five minutes. But I'd wake up before he woke me up. You know, that's what it that's really what it came down to. Now there was times when he'd wake me up and he'd just sort of like and I'd jump, you know what I mean? But it was never a point where I wasn't getting up. You know, it was never a point of like going, oh no, I, I can't get up. It was always like, okay, wake up, help me up off the ground <laughs> and then <clears throat> sort of start getting my stuff together, get it top back on, you know, get a water bottle, all this sort of thing and, and a bit of food if I needed it. Um, so you just, yeah, you just, you just end up start coming into a routine of, you know, I come in, hand a bottle, take top off, take stuff off, lay down and then wake up, get something, sit down, talk, just, it's really as well, like, to even chat to the people that are there helping you, because, you know, you're, you're out in that loop on your own, like, especially when it came down to just, say, when it was three and four of us, you don't really see each other because it spreads out so much, people are all run, going at different paces, so, like, you get back around, and it's good just to have a, a chat and a laugh, you know, with the people that are there, just to take your mind off what you're doing as well, um, and then, like, so within this race, like, with three minutes that you have to be back on the start line, there's three bells. And then two minutes to go, there's two bells, one minute. And you have to be in the corral to go again at the top of every hour. So, like, no, like most ultra races, you can lie down or sleep for however long you want. You're just losing distance each time. This one here, if you are not on the start line and you, you're not in the start line when you have to go, you're out. You're DNF'd. That's it. What's what's your heart rate like during this? Is it pretty consistent in a in a kind of a range, or you know, does it come down for that brief time that you're on the bed and then you're having to bring it back up? You know, your your heart rate doesn't fluctuate that much because mm. with this race you're not you're not really running. You know, you're running the downhill and you're running the flats, but you're walking uphill. Um, and I suppose it elevates a bit because the hills were so steep. Um, it elevates, but once you get to the top of it, you sort of walk for, you know, 50 or 100 meters, and then you just start jogging again. So you just sort of, you just have to sort of manage it and balance it out yourself. Now, I didn't wear a heart a heart rate monitor. I, I don't in a race like that because what, what it just chafes you. Um, so I, I didn't bother, but I, you know yourself, you, you know what you're breathing if you're under pressure. Or, and that's, that's what I was saying at night. I knew I was under pressure because... You know, I wanted to run faster, but I couldn't. <laughs> I just felt like my effort level was just so high. <clears throat> I can I can imagine that actually. And do you get to point where? Because how many people start the race? Or how um, many this one, the this race? one here, I, I think there was only thirty in this one. Thirty madmen. <laughs> so there are, you had to have a certain criteria to get into this race um, so you had to do over I think it was 40 hours you had to have done over 40 hours to be invited into this race so you knew going over to it that everybody here had the potential to go far and like you know yourself when you're involved in these things you sort of you get to know who's who and you know, I think my my biggest thing was when I was going in, uh, Maury Maury was there. So Maury Maury um, was in the World Championships last year in Tennessee, and he was third. 
and I think he'd done 80 hours. So I sort of had one eye on him, really, because I knew that he had the potential to go very far. Um, Moran as well, I, I knew of Moran, um, but he had done, I think he had done 75 hours previous to that. So you're looking at two fellas there that were really good. Um, and like I, I had only 63 hours was my highest at the time. So I was sort of hoping that I could mix it with them. But at the same time, I knew I had to be disciplined too. And did you get a boost each time you saw someone disappear from the, um, the corral? You can't say things like that. <laughs> um, you know, when, when it does whittle down, so you don't really notice it as much when, you know, in the, like, no one, I don't think anyone dropped out in, within the first 24 hours. Um, but 48 hours, you start to know people disappearing. Um, you see the different strategies, what people are doing. There was one fella, I think he was from Latvia, and he would go out so fast. Like, he was doing laps in, 35 minutes you know he was sprinting up the hills and you're like going geez like how how and he was coming in he'd take off his shoes and, so, and he'd lie down and try and go asleep but like i'd imagine his heart rate is so high it'd be very hard for him to recover yeah. yo calm down to get sleep yeah um but we thought it was fascinating you know myself and marcus were looking going like this is crazy like you know how long can he actually sustain this for and in fairness to him like he went i think he went for over 50 hours you know, but it was always going to be a matter of time of when he was going to drop. Um, so you start to look, you say, you start to see these lads dropping off and going, right, his strategy didn't work for him. Um, and I was looking, just, you sort of start looking at your own strategy of like, okay, what do I need to do? Um, fast, slow laps, you know, take your time, that sort of thing. And yeah, as you go down to like under 10, then you go down to five. You know, then it becomes like, okay, who who's next? You know, that's yeah. that's really what it comes down to. So in that, I suppose maybe, maybe like taking the example of someone who's going fast and maybe makes it to 50 hours and then people make the 60, 70, 80 plus hours. In the, maybe in a time frame that people can understand, what would be like a kind of one mile time or like a 5k time in terms of pace? Um, for you, for you, <coughs> like someone who made it to the end, almost. Almost. Sorry <laughs> to say that. <laughs> what, what would be my 5k time? Yeah. Across uh, average, across, across the race. Oh, um, so like I was completing a lap, like my average laps was like, 46 minutes you know 6.7 kilometers so okay. what's that quite there I think it was about 40 was minutes half, five, six, yeah. was it it must be about yeah. 40 yeah. minutes for 5k so 8 minute kilometers yeah uh, probably 9 minute kilometers the average which is not fast at all no not at all like you know, like considering I can yeah. run a 5K in 17 and a yeah. half, 17.30, like, you know what I mean? So there's a massive difference there. And, you know, I do a last man standing any day before I do a 5K. <laughs> you know what? I was, I was just thinking that. I was like, when, when you were saying that, I was like, like, I don't hate doing 5Ks. Like, I'm kind yeah. of 
23 minutes 5k and that's awful i hate it yeah, yeah. it's absolutely disgusting but i yeah. i enjoy chugging along yeah, you get, to, you, you, you get too used to that, but don't you? Because like 5K, your, your heart rate goes so high, you're under so much pressure. Whereas like, say like a 24-hour or last one standing, you're not, your heart rate doesn't go high, but your body is under pressure. You know what I mean? Your muscles, your, you become so fatigued. Your, you know, your whole form starts to change. You know, you have to really, really hone in and all that, that your form stays the same the whole way through. And I would imagine that the conversation inside the head gets different. It changes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it probably gets really loud, especially in those dark hours. It does. It does. And, you know, there was one thing that sort of stuck in my mind as well was like on the fortnight and going up there at night. And it's like, if I get stuck up there, you know, who's going to come and find me? Do you know, and this, these are, this is really... Yeah, yeah. These are the things that go on in your house. Like, how would they find me? It's black dark. Do you know what I mean? How would they even know I'm up here? And I think a lot of that played on my mind too. And it's only a realization, like, in the last few weeks of this. You know what I mean? Of like, you know, what would I do differently? What can I change from that? And I think it was being more more vocal about things like that with, say, the people that are there to help me to go, look, this is what's going on in my head. And it's really... It's probably more the reassurance because what happens is, right, I normally have my phone on me. So I bring my phone with me because I listen to music. But in this race, I didn't listen to music at all. And that was another, another thing for me was it was different. Um, I didn't want to listen to music. I was enjoying going out there and just being at peace with myself. Like. Um, and I think that, that was a factor that I went so far too because I was so focused on the race and you know, I had my points all picked out of where, what time I needed to be at what point. Um, but yeah, like it just, all these all these things go around your head. And the further it gets, as you say, the louder these become and the more real they become as well. And I suppose if I had brought my phone with me, you know, at least I had that reassurance that I could ring somebody or they could rang me of like, where well, yeah, you didn't make it back. You know, so... Yeah, hindsight, you know, hindsight, I would have brought my phone or I could have said it to them and they'd say, look, if you do, we come up and get it. There's no problem. So, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> maybe that was the time to play the power song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or, or sing out loud or something, something yeah. crazy just to just take your mind off that sort of thing, you know. But yeah, look, it, it, I think it was more just a reassurance that. I wasn't going to get lost up there, but like, you know, as you say, like when you get tired, you get fatigued, these things become big things, like big, big things. And know? that's why sleep deprivation is such an important tool in yeah. interrogation because it yeah, fucks with your yeah. head. Yeah, yeah. And you're trying to have your head fucked and keep running at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to, trying to give you advice from the comfort of my study, <laughs> having not run anywhere near remotely that mm. far ever or even yeah. as an accumulation yeah. <laughs> but even as, as you say there with the sleep deprivation like <clears throat> i didn't i never really experienced much um say hallucinations before previous to this now um and i experienced some crazy ones in this you know like i was 
there was a big hill it was about 1.2 kilometres long and you just walked it but I kept falling asleep on it so you'd be walking up and you'd be just dozing and you'd be all over the path you're swaying from side <laughs> to side but you recognise it and you just you know you're going oh, Jesus Christ I better stop falling asleep um, but what happened was I, I found myself I sort of found myself talking and I woke up talking but I thought there was someone with me and I turned to look to talk to them and there was nobody there um, and it's just like you take a step back and you're just like right now I know I'm starting to hallucinate so what can I do to combat that you know and you just sort of acknowledge it and you just go on you know and you just get back around you try and go look this is what happened <laughs> it's funny because I don't know if the, I'm thinking maybe I've got deja vu um, from the time we had this conversation and didn't record it um, sorry again um my fault um like those times when you like when you don't know what's going on and you you i just think in the weaving up the hill i think it would make a great spectator sport like on eurosport like i think like if if people like (coughs) maybe they haven't got like the the time or the budget to dedicate to 89 hours worth of <laughs> live race but maybe maybe online maybe on the kind of um online service but just focusing in on those things where somebody just stops looks around and it's just literally delirious about what they're doing I, i'd yeah. watch that and and like you're you're nearly like dead behind the eyes like do you know what i mean yeah. you'd be staring into You'd be looking at somebody and they just they just look straight through you, you know? Yeah, I'd watch um, that. But, like, there's no point what starting watching that race until 48 hours in, like, you know, the first 48 hours only warm-up. Yeah, maybe just show the start <laughs> and then <laughs> three days later we'll, we'll, uh, we'll catch just up. Yeah. Take a picture <laughs> of your face at the start of every hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then do we a saying, montage at the end. We were saying that... Uh, if it was in the Olympics, you could start on the first day and it'd probably still go until the last day. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Like that. That, do you know what? I, I think there's a there's a space for that sort of um, spectators. Absolutely. You know, and like, when we, like the time when, when we broke the world record, um, like the town we were in was retired in, in Germany and the whole town, the whole village came out. Like it was a small village, but the whole village came out. Um, they were screaming and shouting there was fireworks it was absolutely crazy it was absolutely crazy like you know but you don't realise how many people are actually watching you know there was all um, live YouTube um, uh, Alex Hall the race director was was doing it all live on YouTube but you know he came over to us and he stood and he looked at himself and ran this at the 86th hour and he was like the whole world is watching but you don't take it in because you're fucked. You know what I mean? You're going, <laughs> Alex, I don't care who's watching. I need to get around this next loop. I don't care. Like, do you know what I mean? But for him, like, he, he really embraced it. Um, and he really ran with it. You know, in fairness to me, he put on a great show. Like, um, so, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. Incredible to be a part of, you know. Yeah. So are you going to start <laughs> taking psychedelics when you're running to get used to the hallucinations? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Don't need psychedelics when you're running for that length of time. <laughs> <laughs> but they, but they do say like all psychedelics <coughs> is replace the natural, yeah, 
chemicals in your brain anyway, which come out sometimes. There we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think I would just imagine. stay away from psychedelics, though. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> I would imagine... I'd imagine that's actually quite a spiritual experience, retrospectively reflecting on it and yeah, pulling out the pieces that come from it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because, you know, you think of everything, you know, it's not just good things. You know, it's, it's everything that sort of happened in your life mm. that comes out. Um, you do, you get emotional too. Um, and as I said, like, I use things to keep me going i use things to motivate me i use things to not not give up um and i had things from say avalanas i had things from my 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 son wrote me um wrote me a little letter as well my youngest son he's nine you know and i look at him like how he how he looks up to me now is, is something I've never experienced before and it's, mm. it's incredible, you know. Like, I done a race here in Ireland and my, and my parents brought him up to see me running and he stood there watching me for five hours, you know, and wow. he literally, he literally seen me at the start, he seen me at 2K in because you have to come by that part again and then he didn't see me until I, I came back up towards the start line and he just walked up with me then from the point he was standing at which was to the start, to the finish line, which is about 200 meters. He w- walked up with me, holding my hand, as proud as, like, do you know what I mean? And, you know, I'm looking at him going, like, this is incredible. Yeah. You know, what he's, what he's experienced, what he's experiencing, um, sort of seeing me doing this. Like, Ian Keith is one of Ireland's greatest ultra runners. You know, and he was in the race. He was sitting beside me. And I'd always say to my Harry, my son, I'd say to him, like, you know, to, to, to do well in what you want to do, you have to believe in yourself. And, you know, to hear him say this back to me, because he says to me, Dad, are you going to win? I was like, only if Ian, Ian drops out, I says, I might have a chance. And he goes, you need to take your own advice. I says, what do you mean? He says, you need to believe in yourself. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Oh, the wisdom of kids is powerful yeah. and it just hits straight in the heart and the head. That, yeah, Absolutely. that's amazing though. Yeah, so it's, yeah, you know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I, like my own parents, you know, like growing up, I never gave my parents anything really to be proud of me for, you know what I mean? Now, they'd always say they were proud of me, but... You know, my parents came to, I, I ran for Ireland there in the 24-hour European Championships in September. And my parents came over, you know, and to see them there, my mother sat there for nearly 20 hours. You know, she went back to, they went back to hotel for sleep in the early hours and they came back. And I was like looking at my mom going, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're just sitting there watching me come by every, you know, it was a mile loop. I was like, come by every nine or 10 minutes, like. You know, and she goes, Keith, I want to see you doing well. You know what I mean? It's like going, fucking hell, like, you know, I'm for, nearly, I'm 40 years of age in January, you know, and my, my parents are there, you know, going, telling me they're so proud of me, like, and it's, it's incredible, like, you know, my dad said to me before the race, he says, I'm more nervous than you are. I was like, I don't think you are. <laughs> but I suppose, you know, spin on 31 years and if your son was doing that. Yeah. 
he would Absolutely. be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's wonderful. You know, you'd be sitting there front row, just like my mum and dad were. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And you would stand and shout and scream, and you wouldn't give a two monkeys what anybody else thought. I'm always, something that always hits me is um, Derek Redmond running in the 400 meter final. I think it was Barcelona. It may not have been, and he pulls up with a hamstring injury, and his dad runs onto the track, yeah, and walks, and that gets me every single time yeah. because, as a parent, I would do my level best to get on that track and help him achieve yeah. his dream of, of completing that race, and I just think, yeah, it's really powerful, and it's not even like it's not even to win; it's nope. it's to do your best. It's like. It's it's how much they've seen me suffer. They've seen me suffer in training. They've seen me at my lowest, you know. <clears throat> and then, you know, running, running, being there, running for Ireland um, is a massive high point. You know what I mean? So to have them there at my lowest ever point after my daughter died to my one of my highest points of representing my country, you know, being second in the world at the time you know they're they're seeing me achieve something that I want to achieve and they see me they see me of how dedicated I am to it you know they see you know they see the massive change within me over say since I started running over the last six years and you know they support me in so many ways like you know um and you know, you you know, you can never repay them. You can never repay them for that. Only that you can keep making them proud and keep doing what you're doing. It, yeah. it, it's an interesting thing about about your parents because it's, it's it's a difficult one to comprehend and um, accept. But they've they've been there for you before time when you can remember as well yeah. like they were there when you like you couldn't wipe your own ass yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they've they've seen seen you in times of just complete and utter need and it's interesting that I think I think that like pays forward to them just like completely 100% without question supporting you in whatever you do because they've they've done all those things that you <coughs> that you yeah. don't remember that you haven't seen that you can't even like comprehend it's yeah. it, it's it, it's an interest it, and it's quite hard to get your head around that because i think as a as an adult you don't sometimes remember you you were a child and were a baby yeah. and were like but Someone the thing is, air and help. You were always their child. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're 10, yeah, 20, yeah. 30, yeah. 40, 50. And you still are. Yeah. And you yeah. always will be. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. I think I see that now in my parents when they look at me. They see me as a grown adult, but see me as a child as well. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Where you've grown up. And yeah. I'm sure as Toby gets older, I will be the same with him. He'll always be my, my little boy, even if he's up here somewhere. 
Yeah, yeah that's Head it. A bit. Yeah. You'd always try and pick him up, like give him a give him a cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, probably. So, <laughs> yeah, we went from the backyard My, ultra to the twenty-four hour European Championships. Yeah, and they are the same but completely different. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. They're just it's a it's a different it's a different format. It's a different race. Um, <clears throat> so the twenty four hour European Championship. So it's basically what what distance you can cover in twenty four hours. You can stop as much as you want. You're just losing distance. Um, so like you know, again, you sort of pick all these things up in training of right. Okay, pace, food, nutrition, all that sort of thing, but. When you're in a race like this, it's very, very easy to get caught up in the moment and it's very, very easy to go too fast at the start. Is you it know, busy? Is it busy? It was packed. Yeah, packed. And what happened was as well, so you, it's, it's, they count laps. They don't do distance. It's counted as laps. But what happens is if you're not on the race line, so you're going around people, you're going off the race line, so you're adding yes. distance say, to your watch, right? So come, I, I'd hit, or I thought I'd hit 200K, and I was on for going over 250, which was my target, which was 252. Um, and I thought I was bang on target, bang on pace. Everything was going wonderful. And then one of, my, one of the lads that was crewing us said, um, well, don't keep you on 195K. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm on 200K. <laughs> He's like, no, no, it's 195. And I was like, so how, how was that? And then it was like, you know, I suppose it was an element of naivety too of like, I suppose inexperience. I suppose inexperience is what you call it. That uh, I probably should have taken off probably a half a kilometer per hour off my watch distance, you know, which would have gave me there, thereabouts. Um, so I, I went into a slump. I went two hours going, fuck this. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm after busting my ass for what must have been 18 hours or so. And I'm 5K. Someone's just, it's like someone just went here. I'm taking that 5K off your distance. So that's what it felt like. Um, so my pace dropped. My pace went way out. And <laughs> you sort of have to, again, you have to just go cop on. You know what I mean? You know, you, you just, your game plan changes. Within ultra races, things change and things change quickly. You know, your body, your food, anything, anything can go wrong, but it's your mind you have to keep right. You know, it's your mind that's going to get you through it. The, the language used has a real power and effect on people. So if you hadn't been told you were 195 instead of 200, would you have dropped in those two hours post? Or would you have just kept on kept on the pace and actually probably gone beyond what you ultimately got? Yeah, absolutely. I probably would have like. Um, but again, as I said, it's it's probably just a bit of inexperience on my own part because like I'm li- I'm literally ultra running three years. Like I've ran uh I've ran sort of one national championships, I ran a twenty four hour on my own. And I ran another. So I ran three 24-hour races before this one. You know, so one was my first one where I hadn't an absolute, I hadn't a clue at all. Like, you know, I got to the end and I lay on the ground going, 
I'm never doing this again to signing up to do it again. <laughs> I mean, so, do you know what's funny? Marcus Smith, he did a marathon and said, I'm never doing it again. Now look what he does. Now look at him. Yeah, he done 30 in 30 days. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah, but but for the like the normal person, does this does this come down to you know everyone's well, the world thinks we should be obsessed with like numbers and the numbers on the watch and what your heart rate's doing and yeah and I actually I, I do I, I wear a Garmin watch and I like it it's it's a nice watch I've got an analog face on it and I did used to use it for heart rate tracking during workouts like albeit like slightly different workouts to what you're talking about like more like shorter CrossFit workouts um and I've actually stopped using it. And I, I haven't probably for about six months tracked my workouts on it and tracked yeah. my heart rate. And I've noticed no difference whatsoever. <laughs> like in terms of in terms of my performance and the way I'm like performing. Yeah. So it isn't a useful if you're gonna use it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't wear my watch in the gym. I only wear my watch when I'm out running. And I wear a heart rate strap. I don't use the heart rate on the watch either. Um, because it doesn't, I, yeah, cause it doesn't work. Because <laughs> the on the wrist, it doesn't crap, work. You need, you crap, need the yeah, it's not, yeah, it's yeah. not accurate yeah. at all. Um, now, I've, I've upgraded my watch. I had the Forerunner, uh, Forerunner 5 or something, 6 or whatever. But I've upgraded to the, no, sorry, the Phoenix 5 I had. And I upgraded to the Forerunner 955 solar. So I thought, like, I'd get more, you know, it lasts me for a 24-hour race or a 48-hour race. But, like, when I was in Italy, I think it was still connected to my phone, so it was searching the whole time. I got to 12 hours and I had to plug it in. So I was like, sure, this is shite. So, yeah. Yeah, but I suppose my point was in terms of using the, <laughs> using the data as opposed to, like, the feel. And how you feel and how, how, how you yeah. feel you're doing. R- RPE, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, there's a lot to be said for just leaving the watch at home and going out running. And because I think you probably enjoy it more because if you're watching, say, your heart rate or if you're watching pace or if you're watching time, you know, if you're doing that all the time, it becomes a chore. You know, it does, it's not enjoyable anymore. Um, so, yeah, I think there, there is an element to that. Now, like, even at that, like, I will they have to do a, a slow run or whatever. And I'd still be looking at my pace. If my pace dropped below a certain level, you know, I'd feel I shouldn't be running at that. I should be running quicker. Um, and that's, again, that's just me. Um, like where a slow run or a recovery run is exactly what it says it is. It's a recovery run. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't, your heart rate shouldn't really elevate much at all. Like you should be tricking, should be very, very easy. But a lot of people fall into that into that trap, like definitely, and that's so, what happens with injuries. Then, yes. So we've done back at ultra and twenty four hour race. Do you have a a preference? Uh, I yeah. Well, you see, so next year I have I hope to have two world championships to run next year. Um, now I was going to focus on. 24 hour only so I have the national championships uh, the Irish national championships in June 
And then I hope to run for Ireland in the 24-hour World Championships, and that's in China in December. Um, and my plan was to focus on that and sort of do the best I could there. But, you know, in Ireland, national, the Irish National Championships, I, I can compete. I can, you know, say in the, in the European Championships, I was second of the Irish. So in the, in the national, Irish National Championships, I could be like, I don't know, I, I could sort of hopefully push the first, but second or third, I would hope to get. Um, and then I was like, so I meant to be going to Tennessee for the last one standing World Championships in October. And I know I can compete at the highest level in that. You know, like whereas the 24-hour World Championships, I probably, I, I'd be lucky if I'm in the top 30. You know what I mean? So I'm sort of looking, going, well, why don't I do the race that I know I can compete in? And I'd be pushing the top lads in, in that as well. Um, so I sort of narrowed it down to now that I'm, I'm going to do probably two world championships. I go to Tennessee in October and do the last one standing and then hopefully go to China then in December to do the 24-hour world championships. Like, as I was saying to Paul, I was like, you know, I may never get this opportunity again. And I was like, everything I've done, it's not, I don't do things for material things. I do it for me and I do it for my, mem- yeah. my own memories. And like, you know, I go and I give the best I can in all the races that I do. And I'll train as hard as I always do. Um, you know, and I want to be competing against the best and like the best and last one standing is going to the world championships the best in the 24 hours going to the world championships so why not go to both like at the end it's only costing me money to to go that's it you know what i mean like i've never been outside of europe and this next year i go to dubai in january and going to tennessee in october and i could be going to china in december you know it's exciting yeah like and and i i literally got into this because of Alana, you know, and I'd always credit Alana for me being where I am today because without her, I would never be doing any of this. I would never be experiencing any of this and I, I wouldn't be, you know, up with the best of them of, you know, the best runners in the world, the last one standing. I think, I yeah. think that's where, where this, and I think just from chatting to you, Keith, like, Obviously, we've talked about ego on the podcast a little bit. Um, obviously, there's a bit of, there's always a bit of ego. Everyone has a bit of ego about doing whatever we do. But I get the impression that you don't do it for your ego. You do it because you've been opened up to the experience of doing it and the fact that you're pretty good at it. And I made this mistake <laughs> talking to Marcus um, last last year, I think last last summer, um, <laughs> and made the mistake of saying that he didn't particularly care about winning, and he really just said, "No, I really care about winning," because yeah. I, th- <laughs> I think everyone who throws themselves into something does. But I think that what you just said in terms of why not just why not just do all of the events that I could possibly do and see where that gets me rather than saying, oh, right, I'm going to skip this one because I want to peak for that one. 
Yeah. I, I get the sense that you're just all in there for the experience and it's going to come out where it comes out rather than be beating yourself up because you don't particularly, not that you don't want to win, but you're not going to beat yourself up because you don't win. Is yeah, that fair? So, <clears throat> no, so there's, there's an element of honesty about it too, right? So I know, say, in Ireland for 24 hour, I can compete at the top level with the best in Ireland. I know I can't compete against the best in the world unless, like, I need another few years and I need to put everything into it. I know I can compete at the top level and the best of them in the last one standing. You know, so this, it's, yeah, like, everybody, obviously everybody has an ego. There is an element of ego. Um, But at the end of the day, you still have to work hard. Your ego is not going to get you to the top. You still have to work hard. You still have to get into the mind frame. Like your ego is not going to get you through to like 89 hours in the last one standing. You know, these these people, these people that train and, and keep putting it up on social media and all this sort of thing, and they train just to go, what am I going to put up on social media? I'll go out for a run and I'll just put it up on social media. They don't go very far because, you know, all they're worried about is like getting a good picture or getting a good video and, and things like that. They don't go very far, you know, whereas like if you look at, I say it all the time, like even some of the, the, the lads in Ireland, the, the, some of the best ultra runners in Ireland, you know, half of them aren't even on social media. You know, they don't get the credit that they deserve. Um, and, and there's people out there getting credit and they've done nothing only because they're very good on social media and very good at putting themselves out there. And that's, you know, and fair play to them for doing it. But I think there's a lot of people out there that are very, very good at what they do and they don't get enough credit for it. Or or they get the credit from the people that they care about. If that makes yeah, sense. But that's, yeah, but that's when, as you said, like, they're not doing it for ego. No. You know, they're doing it just for themselves. You know, and all they care about is the people close to them are happy and they're, they're given, like, you know, it, it, it's a two-way street too, like, do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that's all they care about. They don't, don't, don't worry about, like, at the end of the day, people, people on social media give you a like, they don't even think about it again after that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's, that's a fact, like, you know, like, I've, I've, I know a lot of people, but I have a handful of friends. I can count all my friends in one hand, like, you know what I mean? Yep. And that's, that's the reality. Um, I know, you know, there's very, very few people you can rely on. You know what I mean? And that's, that is a reality. Like, you know, like very, very few people would actually know me. Um, like social media, you put up what you want people to see, but people don't actually know me. People don't actually know what I go through on a daily basis, you know? So, Social media is a great thing to, to show people what you want them to see. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think for someone who is wanting to go out, maybe the best way of using social media is, I don't know, is a sponsorship and kind of just trying to get that support so you can go and do the things you want to do. Yeah, and it's very, very hard, um, especially for, like, in Ireland, being an ultra runner in Ireland, um, like even running for Ireland, like we had to pay for our own flights and all to go to the European Championships. Um, and 
you know, it's it's mad. You, you, you're representing your country and, and it's costing you money. And, you know, everybody is like, you know, it's an honor to represent your country at the end of the day and I'd never turn it down. Um, well, you'd, you'd think that, you know, that someone someone could sponsor, come in and sponsor the team or come in and sponsor something. But look, it is what it is. I like, I'm not in it for money. I don't think I'd be able to, I don't think I'd be able to compete the way I'm competing if, if it was solely for money, financial gain, you couldn't do it. Um, there's so much more behind it. Um, now it, it's different if like, if you were getting paid for it and you still had the same drive as if you weren't getting paid for it, you know, that's, that's the, the key. And it's very hard to balance off the two. I would agree with that. Just coming back to the backyard in, in Tennessee and then the 24 hours championships in China, you said it's out of five or seven week. Yeah, I think it's, I think the world championships in October, I think is around the 15th of October and then the world championships in China I'm not as sure if it's the first or second week in December. So what does recovery look like in between those two things? I don't know yet. <laughs> so, so having done having done Germany, you've got an idea of what your body's like after 89 uh, hours. Yeah. Three yeah. minutes sleep. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> what happens to me after yeah, what happens to me after the last one standing? I'm I'm suppose you're still on a high for two weeks after, you know what I mean? Your body's still sort of pumped. Um, but the third week, I take a massive plummet. You know, Cause, massive hit. Because I'm guessing at that point, the, the training is done. It's just about keeping loose, minimizing the risk of injury, working out your strategy, looking back at what you've done already, and then just getting in the mindset for for 24 hours. That That's what's going on in my head, but... I don't yeah, so I don't I'd, I'd imagine so. Um, like, it's going to be obviously getting food back into you. So eating right, all that. Like, I, I eat right anyway all the time. You know, I cook all my own food and all that sort of thing. But I don't, I don't really drink either. So, you know, that's not a factor for me. It's, I suppose, you just have to make sure you're getting enough food in. You put, you're going to lose weight, so you need to put. Like, I lost in the last one standing. I've lost. I think I lost four kilos in May in, in Germany. Like I, I burned 50,000 calories in, in nearly four days running. So like you're going to lose weight. Um, I suppose you just have to get that back in. You have to get all like say fluids in and all that sort of thing. And, you know, stretching I think is uh, a major part of it and just making sure you're not seizing up um, and not go and do the best you can. <laughs> That's yeah. Keith, Keith what's, what's your fighting weight? What's 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 the weight you kind of? I, yeah, so on a, on a daily basis, I'd be seventy four kilos. So what what was happening before was that um, at the height of a training block, so like I like you'd be out running a mad hours at night and all this sort of thing. So like the height of a training block, I used to drop to like sixty nine kilos, but you could mm. see it in my face. My face was skinny. You looked you looked sickly looking. Um, but what I've done, I had a nutritionist there for a while, and she was brilliant. So I've upped, I'll say, my fruit and veg. I've upped all my carbohydrate intake, all that sort of thing. So the last time at the height, of the, the top of the training block, I maintained weight. I was still at 74 kilos. So 
It was like it stands to you too, like because you need you need every bit you can get, especially the likes of last one standing on twenty four hour. You're burning more fat than you are the carbohydrates. You know you have so many fat stores, um, like it's thousands more fat stores than you have carbohydrate stores. So like you need like you need that element of fat, like you know what I mean. Like look, I'm not fat anyway, but like you need some sort of to like if you had like a low body fat percentage. It's you, you know you're going to struggle like yeah no just gonna yeah. I was gonna say do you almost want to be slightly a bit more fluffy coming into the start of that uh, just so you got a bit but, more resilience in, in but the body. problem is then you have weight that you haven't trained to run with yeah, you know what I mean true. so it's it's like Joe you know, like when they say UFC fighters like if they go up a, a weight class yeah but then you know it's so much more taxing on their cardiovascular because they're carrying more weight. Yeah. Um, so if you're training at a, a certain weight and you go right a month before the race I'm going to put on a kilo or two kilos you have not trained to run with that weight on and it's going to affect your joints and cardiovascular yeah. weight yeah yeah, yeah. I suppose it's a bit like us weirdos who train CrossFit type stuff who wear weighted vests exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. CrossFit's great as well it's it, no it's awful <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but again it comes back to the it's all relative yeah yeah. 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 We yeah, we we can we can do really hard stuff in eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> in two minutes, I don't know. Eight two minutes, minutes yeah. It's <laughs> a long eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're do under you, pressure. Do you find the mental and emotional recovery from a backyard run is greater than the physical recovery? I think because so, you know, the, like you obviously get the runners high and things like that. And I think because you've put so much into it, so for an ultra marathon, like you have to, you know, I'd be up at all hours at night uh, training. You sleep as much as you can during the week because the weekends are heavy. Um, like you're awake, like the last one standing, like I think the max I stayed awake for in training was 40 hours, you know, so that was like, get up, go to work, stay up during the day, stay awake at night, go out, run, and all this sort of thing. So it's about 40 hours. And it's trying to replicate how your body's going to feel like hours and hours into, into a race. Um, but when the race, is, when the race is over and you don't have that, <clears throat> you don't really have much to occupy your mind. Mm. You know what I mean? Like say, say after Germany, you know, you get all people contacting you, wanting to talk to you, podcast, uh, pay, whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that that only lasts for so long. That's only a week or two. And then it's gone. Do you know what I mean? And then it's like, it's nearly like, oh my God, where did everybody go? <laughs> Do you know that way? And it's like, now you're back to reality. Now you're back to work. Now you're back to normal life. You know, and that's that's the way it is. Like, So mm-hmm. yeah, you sort of get that that dip but once you start back training again it's it's grand you just you sort of focus on what what's next you know and that's why Marcus is very very good at that because he'll always say right settle down for a week or two we'll have a chat and we'll see where we're going you know he doesn't let you for a month or two months going oh go and enjoy yourself you've done great pat on the back you know he's not like that at all he's like fuck's sake man why did you stop (laughs) (laughs) exactly that (laughs) No, you got to keep moving as you just gather dust. That's it. Absolutely. Well, I have to say, Marcus was absolutely brilliant out there. You know what I mean? Like, he's so, 
you wouldn't even see him, but he's always there looking over you, you know, going to the start line. We'd always be laughing and joking. But then it was like, right, switch it on. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's incredible at mindset. Yeah. That is his, that is his big thing. His mindset. Forte. Yeah. It is. Keith, I'm mindful that we've, we've kept you up late. Okay. No worries. Um, Sean, do you have any other questions or anything else you want to add? I don't know. It's just, I think for a lot of people, again, we've come back to it. It's just, it, it, it blows a lot of people's minds in terms of what you do and seem quite blase about that's, that's, that's my view. I think it's, it's, it's really beautiful that people can see what is possible. Yeah. They don't have yeah. to do it, but it's, hold on a second. This is a man that was drinking, smoking, not really diving into the world of, of running. And now he's doing this. So actually if he could do it, why can't I go for a 5k run, let alone uh, a 90 hour run. And I think that's something really important to take from it. Yeah. Like, you know, people I think have something inside them and they may never even know, you know, Mm. and as I said, like I figured it out because I had Alana and it was a case of like, I just wanted to do something with her. And then you sort of look at going, wait, hold on a second, you know, you actually can do something here. Like. Yeah. I think each step is a beautiful legacy to her. And each race, I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, does that mean you'll be running against David Goggins? Or is he not good enough in Tennessee? <laughs> I don't, think he, I don't think he does. He don't think he does last on standing, does he? <laughs> the no, he's chicken. He's scared. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not into calling people out here. <laughs> Sh- shall we, Shall we just say that a lot of there are some people who do things for show rather than for the actual. We go yeah. back to social doing. media. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Keith, where can people find you? Um, well, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, um, Twitter, LinkedIn, all social media. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, please, please yeah, follow look, me. <laughs> nah, look, I, I post about uh, my running. That's really it. Like, do you know what I mean? So if people want to look at what I do, I don't really post training, but I post races and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's Keith with three underscores, Russell on Instagram, and then Keith Russell on Facebook. Really, that's it. Give, give Keith a, a follow and uh, some support because he's doing some great things there. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers, Keith. It's been great. Thanks very much. Cheers, lads. <laughs>